Great to see everybody this morning. We're glad you're here. If you're a guest with us, if it's your first time, we're so especially glad to see and welcome you. And uh, we're starting a brand new series today. And if you are somebody who's not in church very often, uh, this hopefully will be a helpful series for you. It's a series that we're calling Because. And uh, Because is an answer that if you have preschoolers in your house you have probably used or have ever had preschoolers in your house, you've probably used uh, many times. I don't know what age it starts, but somewhere two or three, um, your preschoolers or preschoolers that you know will start asking what question? Why? And so you start talking about different things and uh, they will say, why? You know, it's time, we got to go to the store. Why? Because we need groceries. Why? Because we've got to have food to eat. Why? Because if you don't have, and it just goes on and on and on. And finally, you finally just say what? Because, right? And then they're fine. And you think I should have said that earlier. Um, but, but I don't know if you've thought about this. That is a really critical part of our development, though, as human beings. Those questions God hardwired preschoolers to ask that question because there is no time in our lives that we are learning and taking in more information than in those formative first few years. We are learning a lot. And and I think there's something that sometimes we forget or miss in church, that as new believers, um, we probably have a lot of questions and we want to say like a preschooler why 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 the difference is we're old enough to feel like we should know the answer and so we don't ask the question right anybody know what you've been in church and you're like I don't know why we do that but I'm not going to ask why because you sort of outgrow that stage of your life but in your spiritual development you may be a brand new believer you may be somebody who wasn't raised in church and you've got a lot of questions and everybody else just seems to automatically know the answers. So we decided we would do a series, we'd take a few weeks called and do a series called Because, and we would try to answer some of the questions about why we do what we do in church. And really there are two target audiences for this entire series. The first part of that audience is, is that those people who have not been in church much or were not raised in church much or maybe you just felt like maybe you slept through church when they were giving those answers and so you feel like you never had the answers to begin with. The other part of the audience are those people who feel like they, they already know the answer but maybe over the course of time you just need to be reminded why we do what we do. That it's not just ritual or routine, that there is something significant about uh, what we're doing. I, I recognize in our culture today, there are fewer and fewer people being raised in church. Uh, the, the generation that is coming up, the millennial generation, to some extent the, uh, the Generation X, uh, is, has been the most unchurched generation in American history. Uh, they were not raised in Sunday school every week and worship every Sunday. For many of them, uh, if they have found their way back into church, they have found their way back in as adults. And yet the church continues to operate and act as if everybody should know why we do what we do. So we want to just back up and take a look at these very basic things that we do in worship, but try to peel the, uh, peel the curtain back in order to say, why do we do them? Why are we doing these things? So this week we're going to look at baptism. 
And the next week, we're going to look at the Bible. Why do we use the Bible? Uh, a few weeks after that, we're going to look at wh- an offering. Why does it seem like Christians and churches are always asking for your money? What's that about? We're going to look at uh, the basic thing of why do we even stand and sing? Why, why, why do churches always make us stand up and sing? And we're going to look at the Lord's Supper, and we're going to look at evangelism. So each week, we're going to take this very basic element and try to see why we do what we do. Now, each topic is really big. And honestly, some of these topics we have had entire sermon series on. So, for example, baptism. We're going to look at it today. We have actually, in the past, on two different occasions, had an entire sermon series dedicated to baptism. So I recognize that in one week, we're not going to fully explore everything about each of these topics. So what we've done is on our website, ssbc.org, uh, there is a page there that says because, and on that page there are additional resources. So if any of these subjects spark interest, you want to read more, you want to listen to more, you can go to our website and you can find additional, uh, additional resources there there for you. Now, when we talk about baptism in particular, uh, there was an event that happened here at church several years ago that actually put the idea for this series in my mind, and it involved baptism. One of my friends who I made in the community as we were establishing some faith-based partnerships in this, in this neighborhood uh, was coming to church one Sunday, and she was not somebody who normally attended church or participated in Christian worship. She was raised in a Catholic Back, in a Catholic background, but they weren't very active in church. So the Sunday that she was coming here to our worship service and she was making a presentation or we were recognizing her, it happened to be a day that we were doing baptism. And so after the service and a few days later when I had the occasion to encounter my friend again, uh, the first thing she said to me was, I have never been to a church service like that before. And so I'm thinking, well, thank you very much. You know, that's great. <laughs> I appreciate it. She said, no, 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 no. She said, I mean, like when you stood up there and you dunked those people underwater. What was that? (laughs) And all of a sudden I realized she was talking about baptism. She didn't even have the vocabulary to to fully know what it was. I mean, she, she heard us say it. She's a very intelligent person. But she had never been in a church service where somebody was taken in front of people and put underwater, and she really didn't understand or know the history behind it or, or, or what it meant. And so we entered into a great conversation about baptism and, and what it meant, and it put this idea in my mind how many times we take things for granted in church. Those of us who come week in and week out, especially if we were raised in church, we don't even think about it. But we recognize there are some of you, maybe even here today, who've never seen that. What does it mean? What is about? Why do we do it? So I want us today to to get into this subject in particular about baptism. And there are three things about baptism that I want us to understand. First of all, that baptism is a symbol of believing. It is a sign of what we are becoming. And it is a seal of belonging. So I want to take each of these ideas by themselves. If you're a note taker, there's a place for you to do it on the back of your, of your bulletin. See, baptism really does mark us. It, it, it marks what we believe. It is, a, it is a symbol of what we believe. It is a sign of what we hope to become. And it is a seal of our belonging. So let's take this first one, a symbol of believing. Most religions, most religious expressions in the world have some sort of ritual or tradition uh, that mark true believers or true followers. So if you were Hindu uh, and you were living in India, 
uh, you would be part of a ceremony in, in the Ganges River where folks go down into the Ganges River to wash. And their ceremony is different than the, the Christian ceremony of baptism. They go down there uh, on a frequent basis to wash, in a symbolic way, to wash their sins away. They're not washing to get clean because if you've ever seen pictures of the Ganges River, it is not a very clean river, but it is a religious symbol of their belief, uh, of their belief to, to need to be cleansed of sin. So the Hindus have that. Uh, the Old Testament, you see symbolism behind uh, the, the circumcision of a, of a young male child at eight days old. That is a symbol of faith uh, for the Jewish people even up to today. There are Jewish traditions, uh, washing and purification rituals where Jews even today will wash their hands in a ceremonial way, not in a way to actually necessarily clean them, uh, but in a way to ceremonially symbolize uh, their need to be cleansed as they go into worship. And so when we open the gospel accounts, we see at the beginning of each of the gospels an account of Jesus being baptized. And this has become, for the Christians, a symbol of what we believe as Christians. Now, all of the gospels open this way. John's, uh, Jesus' cousin, John, was probably a member of a sect of Judaism called the Essenes. And the Essenes were, were very zealous. They, they were sort of the radical fringe of Judaism in their day. Um, they were applying the law in radical ways that most common, ordinary Jews would never have applied it. And so this practice of water purification, of a symbolic washing of your hands, John took that idea and he said, you know what, we're too dirty. We're too dirty with our own sin just to wash our hands People need to be cleansed all over. And so he went out into the wilderness and people began to flock to John. And in a symbolic way, he was baptizing them, putting them under the water as a symbol of their need to be cleansed of their sins. And this began to draw a lot of attention from people all around, especially as more and more people came. The religious establishment began to notice what John was doing. So the Pharisees and the Sadducees of the day, the religious leaders, began to come out and watch John. Uh, these people, these Pharisees especially, were very good religious people. They were the best religious people of their day. They could easily be identified because of things that they wore. Their, their robes, their ornamental jewelry, all of the way that they carried themselves just declared to everybody, hey, I am not only a righteous person, I am more righteous than you are. And so as these commoners are coming to John the Baptist and going through this uh, ritual of being, uh, being placed under the water and being lifted up, these Jewish leaders are looking at this radical expression of this purification ritual and they're kind of passing judgment on it. John the baptizer looks at them and sees what they're doing and listen to what he said. Julie read it for us earlier in Matthew 3 verse 7. You brood of vipers. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance and do not presume to say to yourself, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid at the root of the tree. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. What John the baptizer is saying to these religious leaders is that your religious faith has to be more than something external. It has to be more than a symbol of something that you're wearing. 
believe, there had to be evidence of that you believed something, and that belief had to be worked out through your behavior, through the fruit that you were bearing in your life. So he was saying this idea of being totally immersed under the water was a symbol of the fact that God didn't just want the outward appearance or he just didn't want your hands to be cleansed. He wanted all of you. He demanded everything from you. And so, so this idea of baptism, even today, as we as Christians come and we, uh, we are baptized beneath the water, it is a symbol of something that we believe. It is a symbol that says we believe that all we are belongs to God, every part. Not just one part, but every part. That we are fully immersed in the life and in the story of Jesus Christ. That it's not just something we believe with our head or we express with our hands in worship or we go with our feet into religious environments, but it is something that is all-consuming. In fact, if you're from a different Christian tradition, you may come from a Christian tradition where baptism is done by sprinkling, where someone is maybe a small child or an infant or an adult stands, there's a, a small tub of water and the person is sprinkled over their head. It symbolizes the same thing about a belief in Jesus Christ, but it is not reflective of what John the Baptist did or the way Jesus was baptizing. And what you may not know about your own faith tradition is this. Every Protestant denomination, all of their founders believed that the New Testament model for baptism was immersion. Let me just share with you some quotes uh, from some famous dead guys. The first one is from Martin Luther. Martin Luther founded the Lutheran Church. Listen to what he said. I would have those who are to be baptized to be entirely immersed as the word imports and the mystery signifies. All right, so for all of you, if any of you are from a Lutheran background, Martin Luther, that's what he had to say. John Calvin, who is the father of the Presbyterian Church, all the Reformed denominations, this is what John Calvin said. The word baptize signifies to immerse. It is certain that immersion was the practice of the ancient church. Uh, Another person, John Wesley. Uh, John Wesley and his brother Charles, the founders of the Methodist uh, churches, buried with him alludes to baptizing by immersion according to the custom of the first church. So there is almost universal consent among the founders of different denominations, different Protestant denominations, that the New Testament clearly uh, demonstrates and upholds immersion as the way of baptism. But listen to this. It's not just the Protestants. Listen to what retired Pope Benedict XVI said. This is a quote from his book. Um, He said, Immersion into the water is a symbol of death. Immersion in the water is about purification, about liberation. It is about beginning again. It is about death and resurrection. The act of descending into the water of this baptism implies a confession of guilt and a plea for forgiveness in order to make new beginnings. Pope Benedict XVI. Now, he retired shortly after he wrote that, so I don't know what that means. Uh, but, uh, but, but you can see, theologians of all stripes uh, tend to agree that this act, as odd as it may look to those of us who aren't used to it, the act of immersion as baptism is what the New Testament presents as the way of baptism. Here's what we need to know about this symbol of believing. Baptism is a public act of obedience proclaiming an inward commitment of faith. It is a public act of obedience 
following Jesus in baptism is a public act of obedience, proclaiming something, though, that is not just external. It is proclaiming something that is inward. It is proclaiming an inward commitment of faith. Now, the reason we baptize uh, people um, who have come to faith in Christ rather than baptizing children is because we believe that it must be an expression of the person's faith in Jesus Christ. So for many of you here today, you may have been baptized as an infant. We do not diminish that experience, but we recognize that your baptism as an infant is more an expression of your parents' faith than it is an expression of your faith. Beautiful, important, significant, we don't diminish it in any way, but we say that expression of faith is that belonging to your parents. What we believe, the example from the New Testament, and we don't have time today to get into them all, time and again throughout the pages of the New Testament, the person coming to faith in Jesus was then baptized after they accepted the truth of the gospel, the truth of the message of the gospel. So that's why, as, as Baptists, uh, we practice adult or believer's baptism. So even today, we baptize Lucas. Lucas is nine years old. I was baptized when I was nine years old in the very same place where Lucas was baptized. Uh, here, here's what I know about Lucas, and because I know it was true about myself. I did not understand everything there was to understand about the gospel when I was nine. But you know what? I don't understand everything there is to understand about the gospel at 45. I do recognize that by the time I was 18, I understood the gospel more than I did when I was nine. And I thought to myself, hmm, did I understand it enough when I was nine to be baptized? And I ultimately came to the conclusion that I did Because to the extent that my nine-year-old self could understand the gospel, I did understand the gospel. I understood it to the best that a nine-year-old could. And when when I was 36, I looked back on my 18-year-old self and said, you didn't understand the gospel when you were 18. And and I'm guessing if the Lord allowed me to live to be, what's 36 times 2? 72? Okay. If if the Lord allows me to live to be 72, I will look back on my 36-year-old self and and say my 36-year-old self didn't understand the gospel as well as my 72-year-old self. Does that make sense? But at the point that you understand what it is that Christ has done for you, as at the point you make that inner commitment, whether you're 7, whether you're 9, whether you're 18, whether you're in your 90s, and we've baptized people here in their 90s, whenever you make that inward commitment to say, this is what I believe, this defines me, baptism then becomes the public expression of that inward belief. Does that make sense? All right, all right, so let's move on. Let's look at the next thing it is. Baptism is also a sign of becoming. It is a sign of becoming. Baptism symbolizes more than just what we believe. It symbolizes a new beginning. It symbolizes a change. It symbolizes something that we are hoping ultimately to become. I, I did not stop growing in my faith at nine I did not stop when I was 18. I did not stop when I was 36. I hope I'm not stopping now that I'm 45. But I hope that with each passing day, I am becoming more and more and more like Jesus Christ. Baptism is a symbol of that becoming. Baptism is a mark of personal transformation. It is not to say that everybody who passed through these baptismal waters has been fully and completely transformed. We are all works in progress. But it is, it is a sign of what we are becoming in Christ. Uh, listen to what Paul said in Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. We'll put the verses on the screen. But what shall we say then? 
Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Now, this, this, this is sort of that idea of if you truly are committed in your faith to Jesus Christ, Jesus did not die to give you a get-out-of-hell-free card. That's not what he came to do. He came to transform you and to change you. And so to the extent that we believe that Christ died for our sins, we don't then feel like we have the liberty just to continue to live an old pattern of life. We feel that we are being transformed in his image. He goes on and he says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. I don't know if you were paying attention. I say basically the same thing to every person being baptized. Buried with Christ in death, raised to walk in a new life. It is a sign of what we are becoming. We're not there yet, but we're, de- we're dying to sin, we're dying to self, and as we come out of those waters, just as Jesus rose from the grave, we are raised to walk in a new life that is guided and directed by Jesus. Uh, going on, verse 5. For if we have been united with him in death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Now I don't know about you, but this passage gives me great hope because I walk through life on a daily basis, maybe even on an hourly basis, recognizing how often my old patterns of life still impact me. The way I think, the way I respond without thinking, my my words, my actions, my deeds, everything about me, there is constantly this tension that I feel between a way of living that that, that is supposedly behind me and the way of Jesus that is constantly before me, and I am somewhere in between those. Can I get a witness? Anybody else feel that way? Like, I'm, I'm I'm not what I want to be. I am not what Jesus has called me to be. But every day I recognize that as I, on a daily basis, not just once symbolically in the waters of baptism, but on a daily basis, as I die to self, as I set myself aside and I die to self, I can be raised through the power of Jesus to walk in a new way. I don't have to respond to my spouse in the way I always have responded to my spouse that has resulted in the same argument that we've had over and over again. I don't have to live under the bonds of the same addictions that have seemed to help hold me captive for years and years and years. I can be a new creation. In fact, one theologian, uh, I love this, says about baptism that it is a tombstone and a birth certificate. That when you pass through the baptis- baptismal waters, it's a tombstone. Here lies the old you. Buried, dead, but it's also a birth certificate. Because as you come out of the water, here is a new creation in Christ Jesus. Isn't that great? Baptism is a sign of what we are becoming, what we hope to become. Now, I've had this conversation with enough people um, that I feel like I should have it again. And the question is, should I be rebaptized? Uh, some of you have maybe uh, had that thought. 
that, that maybe now in this stage of your life you realize, I, I don't know, you know, I, I was baptized before, I don't know. My question to people who ask that is always this, was your baptism a declaration of your faith? Was it on your part a willingness, to whatever extent you could understand it at the time, a willingness to die to self and be raised to walk in a new life with Jesus? And your answer might be, well, yes, but I understand it so much better now. Well, that's a good sign. You should understand it better throughout your entire life. But the question isn't, do you understand it better? The question goes back to when you made the commitment, when you decided to be baptized, was that a reflection of what you believe? Was it a sign of what you hope to become? Baptism. Baptism. Uh, is a symbol of believing. It is a sign of becoming. And finally, it's a seal of belonging. A seal of belonging. Baptism is a mark and celebration of belonging to the body of Christ. It is a mark and a celebration of belonging to the body of Christ. Um, It's almost as if there were a trademark or a a symbol that were somehow imprinted on our soul And in a public way, even on our bodies as we pass through the waters, it says, this is who I am. This is where I belong. I now belong to Jesus. I belong. I'm a part of his church. There's a story in the New Testament um, of Peter. And the story is found um, actually in Acts chapter 10. And and Peter was Jewish. And so most of the Christians who followed Jesus, and, and the, the folks who first established the, the, the movement of Jesus' followers were, were Jewish. There were not very many Gentiles associated. Gentiles began to associate later on, but in the early days, there weren't very many Gentiles associated. So among the Jewish believers, there was a big question mark about whether or not people had to become Jewish in order to become Christian. Do they have to go through all the symbols and all the sacrifices and all the rituals of, Jew, of becoming Jewish, and then once they are Jewish, then they can follow after Jesus. So this debate was kind of raging on, and Peter uh, kind of left in charge after Jesus was gone. He, he's wrestling with this idea, and, and one day uh, Peter has a vision as he's up on the roof. Uh, he, he's, he's a Jew who's always followed the dietary laws, and as he's sitting up on the roof waiting for dinner to be ready, uh, he's hungry. He has this vision of a sheet that descends, and in the sheet are all kinds of delicious food like lobster and shrimp. And The only problem was a good Jew didn't need any of that because that's all unclean. Isn't that sad? Whew. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> so this, this, all this food was there, and Peter, and he hears the voice of the Lord say, Take and eat. And Peter's like, oh, no, I could never do that. I would never. like." And Jesus, the voice of Jesus says, Peter, don't call anything I've made unclean. Everything I've made is clean. Well, the next thing you know, somebody's knocking on the door. Peter hadn't even had a chance to eat dinner yet. Knocking on the door. There is a Gentile family who's asking questions about Jesus. And now Peter is being asked to go and tell this family about the gospel message. So Peter goes and he gets to the house and he's immediately got a problem because a good Jew did not go into a Gentile's house. So Peter, though, remembering what Jesus had just said to him about this this sheet full of all these unclean uh, animals and unclean food, said, "I, I better go in. I think that's what 
I think that's what God would have me to do. So he goes in and he shares the gospel with a man named Cornelius and his family. They all come to faith in Jesus. And I want you to listen to this, these verses. Uh, Acts chapter 10, verse 47. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? In other words, this is great. They don't look like us. They don't think like us. They don't act like us. But they have submitted themselves to Christ just like us. They have been transformed and are being changed by the gospel just like we are being changed by the gospel. Why shouldn't they be baptized? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then Paul, the Apostle Paul, wrote these words in Galatians 3. He said, for in Christ you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is now neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offsprings, heirs according to the promise. The gospel is the great equalizer. And so you may be here and your faith tradition uh, may be Maybe from a different world religion. You might have a background, your family might, might be from, um, from a background of being Hindu or Buddhist or uh, Islam. But, but what Peter is, Peter's revelation and what Paul said is that in Christ, what Christ has done, there is a universal invitation that we can be cleansed of our sins because of his sacrificial death. And that by placing our faith in him, we not only can be transformed into the image of Christ, but we can belong to the body of Christ. It's not about your biology. It's not about your bloodline. As a matter of fact, there is no such thing as a person being born a Christian. You can't be born a Christian. You can be born Muslim. You can be born Hindu. You cannot be born a Christian. Because every person must come to the point where they make the decision to place their faith in Jesus Christ. And the symbol for that is the waters of baptism. So I, I, just a couple things in closing, just to, to kind of wrap this up. And again, if you want to know more, maybe you're someone who's here and, and you're just beginning your journey with Jesus. Maybe you've never been baptized or maybe you realize that you're, you were baptized as an infant, but that wasn't an expression of, of your faith. I want to just say a few things uh, to those who are here today. First of all, to those who have never followed Jesus in believer's baptism, meaning that you did not do this of your own choice, but rather it was done for you or to you as a choice of your parents or someone else. Um, first things first, are you, are you in a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ? Because let me tell you something. Passing through those waters is not what is the most important thing. The most important thing is where you've placed your faith. Have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ? Have you come to trust him? And uh, have you committed your life to follow after him? That's the first thing. Have you reached the point where you can say you trust him with your life, with your money, with your children, with your future, with your past? Can you trust him with your eternity? That's what it means to be immersed in Jesus. That's what it means to die to self and be raised to walk in a newness of life. And if that is you, if you say, yes, that's me, let me just ask you one more question. Why wouldn't you be baptized? Why not? 
Your declaration of faith through the baptismal waters is a powerful witness and example to everyone. You, you may notice we had a baptismal testimony video today, and frequently when people are baptized, we invite them to make a video. It tells the story. See, what you see is a picture, but what is behind that picture is a journey that somebody's been on as they have come to place their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ. Why wouldn't you be baptized? It's such an encouragement to other people, and it becomes a sign and a symbol and a seal for you that you can look back on that moment. I still, every time I stand in these baptismal waters, I think back to nine-year-old Gary Weber, and I think, you know what? I'm not sure I had any idea what I was doing other than the fact that I just trusted Jesus. And that idea still stays with me today. And it's become a mile marker for me in my journey. Those days where I have doubts, where I second guess, I look back at that and I say, but that, that act of baptism was an act of faith. I know what I believe and I know what I am trying to become and I know where I belong why wouldn't you be baptized? It's sort of like a wedding ring or a wedding ceremony. Um, many of us here today who are married uh, wear these on our finger. It's a symbol of the fact that I'm married. Going through a wedding ceremony. We had a, a, a wedding yesterday. And uh, going through the ceremony of a wedding. You don't have to do that. I could just sign the license and mail it in. Why do we do that? Because we want some sort of mile marker. We want something that, that to remind us, to remember when things get hard. I can look back. When, when I see this ring, every time I touch this ring through the day, I'm reminded. I made a commitment. I made a commitment and a promise. Not just to Sherry, but to God. And so baptism becomes that. It is a symbol and a sign for what we've done. Now, for those of us who have been baptized, and that's, I'm going to guess, most of us who are here. But let me just ask you a couple questions. Are you more in love with Jesus today than on the day you were baptized? Do, do you feel like if you could look at yourself, however old you were when you passed through the baptismal waters here or somewhere else, do you feel like you could look at yourself then and think, oh my goodness, you were just beginning to understand what Jesus did for you? you nine-year-old Gary, you had no clue the full extent of what Jesus did for you. Are you growing in your faith? Have you continued to grow since that day to today? And if not, what is it that would take you back to that place? What would it take for you to go back to that moment and to begin to not just stay there, but to grow? To grow in the grace and knowledge of what Jesus has done for you. I'm going to invite you to bow your heads and pray. Our Musicians are, are going to come back, and as they do, we're going to have a time of invitation. For some of you today, um, you've been wrestling with your commitment to Christ, and maybe today you realize what you need is some sort of marker that says, no, this is where I'm putting my faith. I don't understand it all yet. I'm still growing in my faith. I'm not everything I want to be, but I recognize that this ancient symbol um, is one way that I can, I can put down a marker and say, I belong. I believe. I am becoming. Maybe today you would just want to walk down and pray with us. Maybe you'd want to pray at these altars. I don't know. For, for some of you, maybe you have forgotten. And you look back and you realize yourself at baptism was far more in love with Jesus than yourself is today. And maybe for you, you just need to pray out to God and say, Jesus, forgive me. 
Help me fall deeper in love with you. Help me live out what was symbolized in my baptism. Wherever the Lord is speaking to you today, I just invite you to allow him to do that work and you respond as he leads. Will you stand together? Father, we come to you today and we are truly um, grateful for your sacrifice, for your death, your burial, your resurrection. And Lord, we pray that more than just a religious ritual or a symbol, that we will look at baptism as an invitation from you to believe. Father, that we will see the price that you paid so that we might become. And Father, that we would understand your invitation for us to belong to you, to belong to your church. Father, for those who are here who um, have never publicly declared their faith in Christ, I pray that something today, even in the testimony of those who were baptized and the message through your word will stir them. Father, for those of us who have grown cold, Lord, I pray that today the waters might be stirred in our souls, that we would return to you and be refreshed as you wash over us and fresh again. Lord, we pray this in the powerful name of the one who came to save us, Jesus Christ.